the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. Coronavirus has bowled the decarbonisation debate a curveball, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility that the post-COVID global economy will feature some hefty green recovery incentives and those governments looking for an intelligent recovery. The shipping industry is in the phase of piloting and trials and research development and deployment. That was always going to be dependent on government support, and I think there's a world in which that happens faster as a result of coronavirus. So we're back on familiar ground for the podcast this week, talking about shipping's decarbonisation pathways. But I want to move the debate beyond the quite general points that have dominated such discussions to this point. This week is something of a special edition of the podcast featuring four esteemed experts who I've drafted in with a brief to steer us away from the theoretical towards a more pragmatic and practical view of how shipping can start investing in a zero carbon future. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Peter Boyd, lecturer and resident fellow at Yale University, the former COO of Carbon War Room, Mathieu de Tugny, Executive Vice President of Bureau Veritas Group Marine and Offshore Division, Tristan Smith, Reader at University College London's Energy Institute, and Adrian Tolson, Director and Lead at Blue Insight. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Hi. Thank you. Good, good morning. Good afternoon. Thanks Thank very you. much. We're talking this week ahead of the launch of a new low-carbon shipping fuels and energy guide that several of you were involved in. And there's been a slew of recent reports and studies all assessing different aspects of the engineering, commercial and political challenges that need to be overcome in each of the scenarios that lie ahead. Adrian, let's start with you as one of the report authors, because the overall picture being painted here is that this isn't just a, a single or a couple of fuel options that are going to emerge as a winner. This isn't a, a linear race in terms of the decarbonisation project. This is, I would say, a necessarily complex multi-fuel future we're building, and it's going to get more complicated to be in the business of shipping from here on, surely. Let's face it, we're no longer going to port and just fill up with 2,000 tonnes of 380 stoke. It's going to be a bit more complicated than that. And and I think your, your, you, the energy you require to run your ships will obviously depend on the type of shipping you're involved in, the distance involved, uh, even uh, even whether you're operating in coastal areas or deep sea, those sort of things. You know, All those factors will, will come into play without doubt. Uh, and obviously the versatility of some of these new energy sources and whether or not they can obviously run on on larger ships and and things like that. So yeah, I mean with that is clear. And I think that's I think there's awareness of that right now, at least generally in the discussions I've had around this topic is that uh, there is an awareness that there is no one size fits all, and that we're going to see multiple choices, uh, multiple different choices. And ultimately, that could end up being that everybody finds their way in one direction when we find that perfect solution. But I'm also questioning whether there's a perfect solution out there for us all at the moment. Mm. Tristan, can I bring you in here at this point? Because uh, we've, we've obviously spoken about this many, many times, but I think it's fair to say that the, the debate is becoming slightly more technically detailed and not all of it is about shipping. We, we are as an industry now recognising that we can't necessarily solve all this internally as a, as a shipping problem. This is about uh, how we source energy in competition with other industries. This is about 
uh, engineering challenges, sure, but you know there are commercial and political considerations here that we need to factor into this. And ultimately, there is going to have to be this cost assessment. Do you think that that debate is now finally ringing true within the industry itself? I don't know if it's ringing true because it's it's a very difficult debate to have given all the uncertainties that drive the costs of and the future costs of these different candidate fuels. Um, so 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 it leaves a lot of space for debate as a result, and people can argue to fit a narrative that suits their current position or you know might suit their midterm strategy. Um, but we have been trying. I mean, I guess our group has been trying to wrap its head around the competitiveness question under the future scenarios that we face. And there are two basic drivers to those future scenarios. One is the price of electricity um, and, and how that evolves. And then the other is the capital costs of some of the hardware that we're talking about. Now, most of this comes down to the price of electricity rather than anything to do with the cost of capital of the machinery, the production equipment. You know, what, what we're seeing is those are very, the low sensitivity parameters. And, and so that then gets you into a situation where it's what is the fuel which has got the most efficient way of converting a green electron into a um, into some propulsion power or some energy on board your ship. And and uh, I need to credit um, Keith from Cargill, who's 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 the person who's articulated that most clearly to me, um, that that's where we need to look in the long run. And and that piece of logic is is something which I think is often lost in the in the debate that we have at the moment, because the transition looks like it is going to be quite messy. There will be niche opportunities for biofuels. There will be niche opportunities for um, things like methanol alcohols that have come out of various different waste streams so so that may well happen but then when you look at that long-run problem of how do you convert renewable electricity as efficiently as possible into a liquid fuel uh, that is from a total cost of operation perspective viable we don't see much ever beating ammonia we can't we we've we've just run the numbers on a 40 fuel comparison in a new report that's out with Lloyd's Register uh, about a couple of weeks ago sorry for the shameless plug and and in that report we 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 just consistently get the long run answer only being ammonia and and obviously there are lots of safety issues that need to be resolved and certainly we put this out as a hypothesis but it's grown as a fuel that people have placed confidence in including i think now all the major class societies as being not necessarily mature today, but something that has safety issues which could be solved in due course. And if if that continues to be validated as a sort of call it the ammonia hypothesis, if you like, if that if that continues to be validated as people go through trials, that a you know you can address the um, safe storage and handling and use on board um, as we already do, obviously in the ammonia movement of ammonia as a cargo. Um, if you can address all of those things, then uh, th then the cost competitiveness makes it very difficult to compete with. What that means for the transition of, is obviously difficult because there will be companies that can make a return during that period um, and invest in production capacity, invest in a fleet that has ability to use certain fuels. Um, but they need to then keep an eye on how fast that movement towards ammonia occurs. And, and it's very easy to underestimate the speed of change. It's also very easy to be over optimistic. So it's a, it's a, I feel, I, I continuously feel very sorry for the people who actually have to make those judgments rather than ourselves who have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines, just trying to analyze the problem because, because getting the timing right is going to be very difficult. Um, but keeping an eye on that is going to be the key. And and of course, you know, timing as as in comedy and shipping is is everything. Um, Matthew, presumably, 
speaking as a class representative, I, I assume you are relatively confident that your uh, coterie of expert engineers are going to be able to solve the engineering and safety problems associated whichever scenario is, is presenting itself. But, uh, you know, to, to um, Tristan's point, we're not just talking about a, a you know a single solution here. We're talking about a transition. Does what Tristan is saying there ring true to you? Do you do you think this is likely to turn into a a practical rollout as well as a theoretical one that was just been described? Yeah, I think it's it's a very good point because uh, realistically, I think the, the the world you know needs a affordable, uh, reliable, clean and safe energy. And uh, as a class society, uh, we, we are focused on reliability, environmental impact, uh, you know, and uh, safety purposes, uh, you know, in, in this transition to lower carbon shipping. So that that's our job, and of course, uh, based on that, we, we we try to help industry to be ready for a multi-fuel future. Uh, for the immediate future, uh, there will be no immediate low carbon replacement in any sense of scale, you know, suitable for the uh, global market. It's a it's a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. so our job uh, today is uh, developing and sharing the technical understanding and risk management, as was just said. You know, risk management is key here. And it's required to, to ensure that the new force, new fuel survey, uh, you know, in this uh, multi-fuel future can be uh, efficiently and, uh, and safely. And as you know, the, the fuel transition so far has mainly focused on reducing harmful local emissions, uh, no more than that. So the, the big challenge we need to focus on to reduce, you know, these greenhouse gases, the dense energy requirements of the deep sea uh, fleet, in fact. And these... Uh, this energy will rely on the creation and availability of low carbon to zero carbon fuels. LNG can help reduce uh, CO2 emissions. It's uh, abundant and it's the cleanest fuel available now at scale. And in, uh, in BV, we, we do believe that uh, managing LNG as a fuel now prepares us for what may be coming next with, for example, and as said, you know, biogas or a synthetic uh, LNG, ammonia, and hydrogen. Battery power and hybrid system applications uh, are growing. This is where we can see in our different works and suitable for how to say uh, primary power applications in ferries or short sea uh, shipping. So the big question for, for, for me is uh, how fast affordable, you know, uh, low carbon fuels can be made available for the shipping industry. And the when and the, at what cost, of course, remain the, the big questions. So we we may see a few uh, scenarios, uh, maybe scenario one, lower and low carbon fuels, such as uh, biogases, ammonia and hydrogen, which uh, would become available in the global market. The scenario two, which would be the energy optimization, take up to uh, new levels and cost effective, uh, which is uh, considered so important to keep the, the world working. But with the corresponding challenge, that's why low-cost LNG or low-sulfur fuels may be an option as long as uh, we have a carbon capture and use and storage. Or the scenario three, which could be an hybrid of the above, uh, if uh, a global decarbonization regulatory and a new fuel uh, availability market uh, proves too, too slow in coming. So that's more or less the three scenario, you know, we, we have in mind at this stage. Mm -hmm. And just to the, the point about the transition timing, 
clearly if there was a zero carbon option that was a viable investment you would have every owner in the world knocking on your door asking you to uh, come up with the specs so they could disappear off to the uh, Chinese or Korean yards and, and order one immediately but we're not looking at anything that simple we are looking at not just not what it is we're investing, we're investing in, in but when we do it and how we get from here uh, probably uh, across a, a sort of couple of stepping stones and there's a lot in that I'm wondering perhaps uh, if I could bring Peter in at this point and, and and maybe question you know this 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 idea of, of how we continue to make money throughout this an idea of how the industry you know makes money you, you're obviously involved in in a lot of uh, the debate around things like carbon credits and those mechanisms that could be used to allow the transition to actually sort of be sustainable I guess economically speaking as well as in terms of engineering solutions yeah. So, so I mean, yeah. I, I think this new this this idea of like, as you say, a world of nuance um, and complexity, and and a world where timing is important. I think the other piece that I sort of put in here to help this understanding is is this like we, we we've got to enter a world that is not just about ambition, but a, a world that's that's clar about clarity. So ambition plus clarity. I think there's quite a lot of claims in the shipping industry is is not um, unlike others where sort of high ambition is starting to to appear and that's all good but a sort of ambition without clarity is just fluff you know like and clarity without ambition is too incremental for the solution required we need people to be not only ambitious but be very clear on the definition of the thing they're chasing so i think the first piece um, that sort of serves the, this industry as much as any others is just like well what do you mean by say a concept like net zero um, what scope are you are you thinking of? Um, are you owning your emissions reduction trajectory in a responsible way? That sort of so science is it science based? Um, to the terms of offsets which you mentioned, you know, sort of are the offsets Paris Agreement compliant? Are you are, are if you are offsetting, are you actually part of the global carbon budget, or are you just sort of making yourself feel good? Um, and then uh, there's a fourth descriptor that we're creating in a, in a sort of paper to try and sort of suggest a tighter definition, a ubiquitous definition of net zero is like, are you looking at your emissions cumulatively? Like, like you know, sort of to the extent of, of sort of a wealth transfer that is necessary from um, basically sort of profitable sort of Western companies and countries to um, sort of developing countries to basically keep their trees up or, 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 or and, and a bunch of other things is that it's like are, are we actually sort of acknowledging um, basically the bar bill that we've been eating and drinking for a while and not settling up and can, can we can sort of sort of account for that going forward but the idea of like being clear on what your net zero is, that's one sort of nuance that is sort of a, a, above the sector level. Um, into the sector, the interesting thing I think is is like, oh, what's the role of the shipping company? What's the role of of the investor? What's the role of the um, of the entrepreneur the, and, and indeed the fuel entrepreneur in this? And 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 if you are a sort of a net zero company that you know, sort of a, or a you know sort of a carrier that wants to be net zero, um, is it your job and your expertise? To invest in a particular winner, arguably not. Like, like, what do you know? This is this played out in the airlines a few years ago with when we looked at this in a carbon war and with renew, the, the transition to renewable jet fuel. It's just like, what does an airline know about teacups or barrels that are being produced in a very niche technology within renewable jet fuel? Um, they know how to put Jet A1 in their tank, but they don't necessarily know like, 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 is that biofuel better than this one? So mm. I think the interesting piece is is how can the sh how can the 
the, this this become an ecosystem that is successful and the winners rise to the top. It's not a case, I don't think, of sort of investing in VHS or Betamax and to, to, to betray my age here. And it's like if you're caught with a Betamax recorder, like you're on the wrong side of history. Um, there, there might be a mega winner. And that's what I love about, you know, sort of the role of people like Tristan's team. Like, so like, well, overall, Ammonia sort of rises to the top. But, but there's an ecosystem of, say, a better analogy might be an ecosystem of renewable energy on land. You know, some places that are windy and not sunny, well, that's wind. Some places with, you know, sort of two islands close together and a reliable tide going through, even tidal energy is, 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 is a good place for that, for that. And so this idea of, is there an A, B route um, on shipping, which is reliably, you know, sort of wind power? Is there an A, B route that's reliably, like you could put an, an, another technology in place, as well as obviously the sort of what was mentioned earlier by Matthew and others about sort of the, the sort of the challenge of deep sea. So it, it's it's interesting to, to sort of see like, like who, who does what in this system as the nuances emerges. And then last one, maybe just to tee up some future things is like, within the shipping company itself, you have the, the, the role of the energy manager that's changing or the, or the sort of the fuel buyer as was um, become sort of almost promoted to this, this, this idea of, of, of the energy procurement. And, and, and it's a strategy role now, not just a sort of, can I get the best price um, and, and know where to sort of know where to fill up. Now, now there's a, a, a sort of a, a matrix of, of, of strategic decisions to make um, within the shipping company. Mm. Well, I, I, I want to bring Adrian in at that point, because I think you've got a probably better view than most having looked at this report. You've got over 40 new companies and projects and collaborations all looking at low and zero carbon marine fuels. Obviously, a promising indicator, but I'm interested to know what you make of that uh, assessment. You know, ambition without clarity is fluff. Do you think these companies are clocking the ambition? Do you, do they have the clarity? Where where do you think? Where would you assess that we are? Uh, given that you know, we we we've got a number of these things in train, but probably at a fairly low level, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, most of the, the, the guide was designed and is designed, as we'll as we'll see when it comes out, to to sort of reflect you know, to, to be reflect the marketplace or the what's going on in, on a global scale as far as innovation is concerned. So you have some within those organizations and within individual organizations, you have some clear, more visionary people that could become obviously could take the industry and take the, the shipping industry and energy procurement or whatever in a very different direction. But but obviously, most of these, uh, you know, most of these entities are quite um, they're working on their specific areas where they where they see the possibilities and some, you know, to be honest with you, some are very low level projects They're 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 almost a, a few guys in a lab, you know, that simply that. So it, I don't want to I think it's important what, when we came to put the guide together that there was there was some goals in place and, and one was to to try and bring attention to the innovation that was going on out there. Obviously, because we know all this innovation needs investment, a lot of these companies need money. And the reality is that we want people to invest because you know, somebody needs to create, there has to be ultimately, not necessarily a winner for the whole globe, but a winner for individual sectors. And so I think that's that was the guide, that was the concept behind the guide in the first place. I mean, I also came, obviously, as, as many of you know, I come from a long history of being in the physical supply side of the bunker industry, and you know, in the, in the sort of fossil fuel world, for sure. And, uh, you know, trying to, to make sense of this for the industry that existed also, for my industry existed and to provide you know guidance to that community as to what they should do and where they should go and, and those sort of things but yeah i mean 
the 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 guide is uh, is is focused on providing a platform for innovators to talk about their innovation. It's not designed to sort of necessarily provide weight in one area or other, although you may read it and see it and say, well, you know, clearly this is the right way to go or that that's the right way to go. It's interesting. I think, Tristan, you were responsible for coming up with a figure of $1.4 trillion of investment required. Um, I mean, how does the uh, the industry, well, firstly, how, how do you account for that sort of you know estimate? But how, how does the industry really turn what Adrian has there, you know, in this sort of nascent groundswell of uh, R&D going on in the industry, but accelerate it to a point that uh, the likes of Matthew's customers can can come in and turn that into viable decisions at a business level uh, and obviously do that amidst what we've already discussed is a very difficult transition from uh, you know fairly carbon intensive options to a zero carbon series of solutions you know, essentially on the water by 2030. Do, do you have any uh, sort of idea of, of, of how we can sort of start positioning that in practical terms? Yeah, and uh, it's it's a pretty scary n- number, um, but it's but then on the other side of the coin, it might be less scary when you look at this the amount of capital that goes in every year, and the size of of, of the funds, the institutional investors in particular, who sit behind a lot of the capital markets. Um, you know that that they there doesn't seem we've not encountered a banker a financier who says this is an access to capital problem you won't be able to find a trillion dollars it doesn't exist they all say the money exists you need the business case the business Mm. case unfortunately needs the regulation which is why this subject is is so circular at this point in time because we know that the imo has laid out its initial strategy that says this is our direction but there is no lower level of detail that then any corporate at this point in time can say in 2025, there will be, uh, you know, a million tons of ammonia needed in the shipping industry because that that is not um, that's not explicit. There's some there's some uh, statements about phasing out fossil fuels. There's some statements about where we want to get to in 2050 and some carbon intensity targets that most people think will hit without an alternative fuel. So so you don't you don't you don't have a solid investment case at this point. And I think there are two things that enable that. And one is a piece action that the private sector can take, which is about what Peter just said about clarity. You know, there are a lot of fake zeros out there and and um, there are a lot of companies looking for fake zeros because you can then use the marketing aspect of all of this to say, I am now net zero. I am um, I'm doing the right thing and write a CSR report. And for 90 percent of your client base or who you're trying to communicate to, that will work at this point in time. Um, regulated super fast from uh, from the from the private sector perspective because as long as that persists it is is going to rot the nascent move towards companies trying to find investment because the investment community will be equally confused by that you know what's genuine zero what's fake zero and Mm. and and they will just not put capital in because they'll say there's no clarity here you guys are a mess you know until until someone sorts this out either with good um you know industry-led guidelines (laughs) or hopefully at some point IMO um, clarity and in particular on the on the subject of life cycle emissions and how we deal with the upstream accountancy and all the regulation that we're going to need to have the supply chains to avoid the obvious risk of decarbonizing operational emissions but just shifting to large upstream emissions 
um, and a lot of land-based emissions, which will ultimately need to be regulated, but may take a while to be regulated and give us a really nasty, messy period where the business case is there for some pretty unpleasant from a climate perspective solutions. Um, but unfortunately, because the business place is there, cash, cash flows and becomes a stranded asset and then needs to be sort of managed out of the sector again in five to 10 years time. So there's there are all these hazards. And, and I think there are initiatives that are moving to try and define that. Um, the Getting to Zero Coalition has quite a basic statement about what zero is, which um, which I should confess I wrote, which is why I, I'm promoting it, because it's kind of, it, it, it's a it's an attempt to just say, look, there's some very basic science, which, which tells you what zero is and it isn't. And if you're still deriving something from a fossil fuel in some place, or there's upstream associated energy commission, consumption, which is fossil, then it's not zero. Um, if it's a biofuel, it's probably not scalable. Um, and so, yes, it works in this period, but it won't work uh, as a zero solution, especially when you take the land use pressures in, into account. So we know all of that already, but the problem is the, that there isn't an ISO, there isn't an IMO definition. And, and that that leaves a lot of space at this point in time. Indeed, indeed. And I mean, Peter, I, I want to bring you back in here because I, your view is not just on shipping. And I think it's fair to say that shipping has a um, a reputation as being something of a, a regulatory laggard. And, and certainly there's, there's very little uh, evidence, historically speaking, of uh, first mover advantage uh, in any way uh, being a sort of uh, an impetus to, to invest in such things. Uh, the industry generally waits until there is a, a series of solutions foisted upon it. Looking more widely at how the you know other industries are competing, and I think this is you know key in this debate because the the industry cannot exist in this vacuum. This idea of, of fake zeros, uh, greenwashing, if you like, do you get the impression as a I guess as the sort of the outsider looking in that the industry is taking this seriously, or is this just a, or are we paying lip service to this at this point? Yeah, interesting. An interesting point here because. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it's it's again you, you sort of put the keyword of nuance in here. I think there's a nuance even in the answer to your question, and that it, that that there are some that are taking this very seriously, and there are some that are paying the lip service. Um, and that I think that's always been the case. I, I did you know it went in the carbon warm days. We did look at the shipping industry, and there was a, you know sort of a, probably a joke told to us was like there's a big race to come second. Um, you know like like you just uh, you know as long as you know that somebody else is out there in front and you're okay sort of investing the, I think that the, the key piece like just just to take two of the the kind of the, the, the vectors that we sort of we're we're promoting slash chatting to people about about a real zero one is like owning the the, the emissions trajectory and to get across to the shipping industry which I think it, it, you know sort of this is where I think the the, the kind of the want is real is this a sort of there's cash on the table there's fuel savings to be had there's the, the you know sort of there's the 50 to 70 technologies you look at that can actually, you know, sort of that are non-fuel non related, but, but, but are sort of uh, can actually increase the fuel efficiency. And, 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 and as I look out from the outside looking in at this industry, there's still an awful lot of, of, of stuff on the table, of money on the table um, from an energy efficiency point of view. So, so, so I think I think if, if we can push that debate and say like 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 make the money in the fuel savings where you can, um, and and then and then the other the, the other piece that I think where I am seeing genuine progress both inside the industry and and without is take somebody like a, a Maersk and a Microsoft. Um, 
um, as, as sort of two ones here, where the 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 what's been sort of it, uh, like heartening to see is is a clear target, like a net zero target, but then almost like an open source of the journey. Like we're going to need partners and and technologies, and we don't know how to get there, but we know that the end goal is necessary. And I think this piece, in addition to sort of like a real target. Um, can you all can you also say like it's a destination based target? This is a destination we believe in. Um, and, and if you work back from net zero by mid-century as something that Article 4 of the Paris Agreement says, you know, sort of the, that's where we're heading. And so like, like come back from in that, like where do we need to get to? Having of the carbon budget by 2030, how are we going to do that? You know, like there's <clears throat> that, that that I think is where we've got some uh, sort of potential sort of real, real momentum, real momentum. If I may, uh, Richard, we talked about innovation, and the innovation to, to me means uh, research and development. You know, in our organization, uh, it's about five percent of our revenues, which is devoted to research and development, and we we do feel that it's vital because it's a way, you know, to develop our rules and guidance, uh, which are part of the goodwill of the company. In fact, they are assets, they are property. And it's a must, uh, uh, and especially based on risk-based approaches, because uh, we are talking about new technology. So there's no regulation as we speak, you know. So we have to develop them on the basis of risk analysis uh, to to predict uh, as much as possible, you know, what could happen using such or such uh, fuel. And that's why we have a, a certain number of working groups right now with different stakeholders to uh, review uh, the option of ammonia, uh, hydrogen, etc. Et uh, and uh, we, we do feel that, uh, you know, by, by, the, by 2030, uh, that will be able, you know, to, to, to uh, secure the feasibility, you know, of these different options. So it's a lot of time consuming, uh, but the, as a class society, this is the way to go. Mm. And do you think that role is being left to class to some extent? I mean, I ask in a loaded way, but I, I personally would be a lot more pessimistic about the industry's chances of survival if we didn't have class. I, granted, there are you know barriers at the IMO, and you know we are seeing some delays there, but no other industry has the equivalent of class really pushing that innovation uh, at, a, at a at a level that we're seeing in shipping. But at the same time, there is a huge amount of responsibility, I guess, on classes, the sort of holders of technical expertise within the industry to make a lot of this work. Do, I mean, how, how is class working together on this, do you think? Uh, you're right. And class uh, is supposed to be a, a group of experts uh, to anticipate and prevent, uh, you know, from any uh, issues or uh, safety risks. So this is what we are doing. And, and talking about these new uh, energy or new systems, uh, we need new capabilities as well because we need to adapt ourselves, you know, to these new trends of, uh, of things for the future. So, uh, yes, we are a lot involved in that because simply this is our job. This is our job, you know, uh, to assist our clients and prevent that risk. But it doesn't mean that we have uh, right now the capabilities. This is why we have to work with different stakeholders. So I think there's a I think if you break it down, there are all these different actors, governments, IMO and corporates who all have a role to play. And it's how it's whether or not we can stitch all of that together in an efficient way for the to the benefit of the shipping industry. And I think the near term is where I see the most obvious role for governments to come in and and really support the sector in R&D. 
and as I said earlier, whether that's done through adopting a policy as a multilateral organisation, but even if we can't do that quickly enough, it needs to be done by individual governments who see an industrial strategy opportunity. And I, you can see evidence of that happening in Scandinavia and, and in Europe already, and I'm sure we'll see it in Asia very shortly um, if it hasn't already started. So, so governments coming in, the private sector hopefully getting a signal from the IMO, not now yet, because the debates are still very immature on what the mid to long term policy solutions might be, carbon pricing, fuel standards, etc. But but maybe at least in 2023, as the revised strategy, getting some more clarity on what the switch from fossil fuel really is going to look like from a timing perspective, more clarity than we have in terms of 2050 targets at the moment. And, and from that, starting to make investment plans and subsequently being given much more clarity as the IMO publishes what that policy will actually be. But that point might not arise until 24, 25, maybe even 26, if there's a really protracted and painful negotiation at the IMO. And that, that hopefully, the private sector will be anticipating that, such that when the clarity comes out at the IMO, then investment really flows fast. And I think uh, that all has to be done within the framework of the same definition of zero. Because if the IMO adopts one definition of zero, the government's putting green stimulus in, adopt another, and the private sector and the financing community have another definition of zero, it will be a mess. So it's almost back to clarity and coherency across those three actors being the key thing and and something that we can work on today in order to maximise the likelihood of that outcome. Yeah, and can I just chip in on that, um, uh, Richard? Yeah. So, 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 I mean, I, yeah, so, so obviously huge fan of like, like rallying around one definition of clarity, especially when there's, it's almost like shipping has always made a case about how complicated it is. Um, but, but, you know, so it's like, it, so it's especially when it's complex, you need the, the sort of the single definition of clarity because, uh, you know, sort of then different actors can sort of, sort of work out what their path forward is. Um, it's also a case of sort of all, uh, all what I was going to say is like all, all sectors necessary, none sufficient to get this done. Um, I am slightly less optimistic on a sort of an IMO leadership signal being the strong signal that everyone you know, like, that, that leads from the front. And I don't know if it necessarily has to. Um, it, 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 I'm, I'm more of a thing is it's like it, do the signals all sort of add up to investment capital going, this is where we're going. So if you think of, say, electric vehicles as a good as a good analogy, it's just like there's a reliable cost curve going down of battery technology, 73% 2008 to 2017, another 73% forecasts, you know, sort of to, the, to, to 2030. It's obvious to all actors that the cost of an electric vehicle is going to be cheaper than an internal combustion about mid-decade. Mid um, and you see everyone sort of rallying and jockeying as you get close to that crossover of, you know, sort of clean is cheaper or clean is, you know, sort of universally better, such that, you know, sort of a bunch of actors now are everything from charging infrastructure to every single OEM has an electric vehicle in their fleet. Some are converting wholesale, the market cap of Tesla versus others, et cetera, et cetera. And, and to, to, to Tristan's other point, like the movement of capital is nonlinear and, and incredibly disruptive and in hopefully in a good way here. 
So that idea of like the signals can come from lots of places, but they have to be consistent and rally. So Maersk and others, like their net zero definition and their, their ambition by 2040, et cetera, that's a huge call to investors and entrepreneurs. And then the IMOs, the local regulations, you know, sort of, but, but they kind of, the change can be, can be disruptive at the tipping point and near the tipping point. But I think it's, it's almost like all actors are necessary, none are sufficient. Just the, the other piece that I think is interesting, especially for the big shipping companies that want to be net zero, that, that take it seriously at the board level and the purpose level and say, this is we want to be there. We want to be a good actor, um, but we don't see a clear winner. And things like this guide are incredibly important to help them navigate this. So it's so a huge supporter of things like this guide coming out at this time. But they've got the, so they've got a role to play in saying, like, well, we want to buy some of this or put some capital to support this. And isn't this interesting? But what they can also do in the near term is 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 participate in, as an industry in the offset market and say we know we are a hard to abate sector we know our curve to zero is 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 a longer one than some others like buildings or something else um sort of let's participate meaningfully in the offset market and and coming out soon there is going to be the ability to basically buy you know paris agreement credits that, that, that sort of ladder up into the global carbon budget and actually meaningfully help um, the world's ability to get there. You know, we, we, to get to net zero by mid-century as a whole economy, we need a mixture of fast acting, you know, sort of obvious solutions at scale, like saving forests, and in addition to long run, meaningful sort of conversions of hard to abate sectors like shipping fuel. Um, and we need them all. It's not a case of sort of um, the, the, kind of the shipping company of today say we, we are only going to put our, our sort of eggs in one basket on on this renewable fuel. It's like, well, the world can't the world can't uh, allow that to happen, that you are just so focused on that one solution. We need everything to happen. And so these meaningful purchases of credits at scale from the shipping industry, I think, will not only help the shipping industry's image, um, but it will also sort of help the world ton for ton. Wonderful. Peter, Matthew, Tristan and Adrian, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast.